What comes to mind for you when you think of Jesus's miracles? No, really, what comes to mind? Take a moment or two and think about one. Reconstruct it. Maybe it's a miracle that you heard as a child. Or maybe it's one that you've read about that has transcended religious areas and finds itself in popular culture. Maybe it's even a miracle that you saw in the art gallery on your way in this morning. Where is it happening? Is it on a mountain somewhere or by the Lake of Galilee? Is it in a crowd or is, is Jesus alone, maybe with one or two others? Is Jesus feeding folks? Is he healing the sick and suffering? Is he forgiving? When we think of these miracles, these things that have come to our minds, we often think of desperate people with nowhere to turn, those who have been locked out and left out, those who've been lost, the outcast and the ostracized. But it's interesting, here in the Gospel of John, Jesus' first miracle is not to the least of these. It is instead at a wedding feast. Maybe it's the wedding of a family friend or a relative. At the very least, it's someone in Jesus' community, since we're told that Jesus is not only there, but his mother Mary is also present. It is at this wedding, this time of joy and celebration, that Jesus, encouraged by his mom, performs his first miracle. Mothers do know best after all, Jesus. In the telling of the miracle, folks often focus on the wine, but this miracle is less about wine itself and more about what it says about God. See, while this passage is not about the least of these, it's telling an important truth about God that honestly, sometimes we all forget. Miracle that tells us of God's promise of abundance. This passage is about the abundance that God promises, not in just enough to scrape by, to sustain, but that life and God's kingdom are things to be enjoyed, to be savored, relished. They're things to be shared with others, they're things that inspire us to laugh and to dance. And so often we're limited. We place Jesus and his ministry in some sort of box. He makes the blind see and the lame walk. He heals the hemorrhaging woman. And these are necessary and important miracles. But this miracle today is also necessary. Joy is also necessary. It is also important. This well-known miracle today reminds us what's possible for God's kingdom if we don't keep it in a box, but if we let our imaginations run wild. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? 
my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock. You, O oh God, are our Redeemer. Amen. As children, we have big dreams about who we'll be. We let ourselves fantasize about what life will hold. We make believe and we pretend and we actually do believe that we already are. I'm so curious for each of you what your childhood thoughts about what life would hold were. Did you see yourself as a doctor, a lawyer, a firefighter, a nurse, a parent? Maybe as you look at your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews or those little cute kids down the street, what dreams do you see awakening in them? A friend and I were recently talking when she told me this story. She'd come home from work with her daughter in the kitchen with their caregiver, and they were making blueberry muffins. And she said after a stressful day, walking through the door, the smell, sweet smell coming her way, it was just so joyful. And her daughter's face was illuminated with excitement, and she scooped her up in a big hug, breathing in that flowery goodness that had made its way in her black hair and all over her clothes. And she wanted to affirm her daughter and to praise her. And she said, oh, baby, maybe one day you will be a baker. As she nuzzled her in. But her daughter's eyebrows furrowed. And she got a very serious look. And she said, Mama, I already am a baker. <laughs> My friend almost laughed at herself. Yes, baby, she replied. Yes, you already are a baker. How often do we limit ourselves? You've said, oh, I can't do that. I'm not skilled enough or talented enough. I don't have enough schooling or experience. I don't have the time or the training. And Jesus himself, he limits himself in this passage. He tells his mother, woman, which Sorensen's, if you told your mom, woman, like, can you imagine what would happen there? Yeah, 
I agree. He says, woman, which I can imagine Mary rolling her eyes. He continues, my time, my hour has not yet come. Time. There's never enough of it, and somehow it's never quite right. We limit ourselves so often because of time. It's not the right time for this dream because I have too much work, or maybe I haven't worked in years, or there's too much to do at home. We often want to hold off on our dreams, waiting for some perfect moment for, as Jesus said, our time to come. But Mary knew that there is no time like now. There is no need but the one before us. And so she tells the stewards to help Jesus as needed. Recently, my um, husband Dan and I have been watching the HBO series Station Eleven. Has anyone else been watching that, or is it just us? Slightly, slightly macabre. Yeah, I'm glad there's a few of us out there. Um, but also eerie. So in 2019, the last time that my um, husband's family got together for Christmas, my brother and sister-in-law gave us two gifts which at the time seemed novel and interesting and now seems slightly um, foreboding. The first, game they gave us, or the first thing they gave us was the board game Pandemic, which I don't know if any of you have played, but in which you're trying to be a CDC person and save the world from a global pandemic. The second thing they gave us was this book, one of their favorites that they've read and then they wrap and gift to us every year. And I love this tradition. It's a way to see what they love and the things that they've appreciated. But this book also had an eerie sense in that it too is the story of a traveling group of Shakespearean actors who are living in a post-pandemic world traveling around Lake Michigan. The book has since become an HBO TV series which sometimes strikes a little too close to home. But there's a phrase from the series that these Shakespearean actors have inscribed on one of the, the carts that they pull along with them from town to town as they perform Hamlet and Macbeth. And it says, survival is not sufficient. That our lives should hold more than just merely existing that there should be room for beauty and art and joy. Now, thankfully, our experience is less extreme than the one found in this series and book. But I think for us, too, these words hold meaning. Merely surviving is not sufficient. But so often, our fears are ones of scarcity, that there is not enough that it could all run out. We don't want to run out, after all, halfway through the party or halfway through our lives of, of money, of security. There's only so much to go around, the world tells us and shows us. And so it is a fear that we tell ourselves, our hour has not yet come. Maybe one day, when I pay off college for the kids or when I retire, maybe one day, when I'm not so blocked by fear. We've been told no, not you, not now, so many times. Maybe by others, teachers or coaches, by parents and sadly even partners. Maybe we've told ourselves that lie. 
of scarcity. You might love to dance, but at some point someone said to you, you'll never dance like your sister. Or who do you think you are, Joan Didion? What do you have to say? And our dreams die. They wither on the vine. The fruit never quite ripe. But in our scripture, but our scripture today invites us into wild imagining that there is not only just enough, but there are kiddie pools worth of enough. I love the rabbit holes that sermons invite you to go down. And so I found myself down one such rabbit hole with this sermon. So if there were six stone jars, as John writes, and let's say they were 30 gallons full, the scripture says 20 to 30, but we're talking about abundance, so I'm going to assume 30. That means there are 30, 60, 90, 120, 150, 180 gallons of wine that Jesus makes at this wedding. Now, out of curiosity, I also looked up how much how many gallons of water is needed to fill your average kiddie pool. And so in a 5.25-foot by 1-foot uh, kiddie pool is roughly 162 U.S. gallons. So you could fill an entire kiddie pool with what Jesus creates and have 18 gallons left of wine to still drink. That's more than enough, and we have more than enough. If we constrain Jesus's ministry to the crisis and the critical and forget this first miracle in John, then we're forgetting the invitation to live into our wildest imagination and the abundance found there as an act not of frivolity, but as an act of deep faithfulness. I pray for us all that when we come to the end of our lives, we look back knowing that while not always easy and painless, we believed in abundance for ourselves and for others, that we dared to hope and to dream and to wildly imagine. Lindsay Jordy, a current faculty at Princeton Theological Seminary, there you go, Grace, good Princeton, Princetonian, she wrote on this passage from John and the traditional wedding customs found in Jesus' time. Unlike weddings today with set guest lists, wedding in, weddings in Jesus' time were community affairs. There were no seating charts. There were no cutoffs. Everyone from the whole community was invited, and the party lasted several days. Now, for those of you who maybe have been recently married or remember that process or maybe walked through that process with your children, can you imagine inviting the whole town to the wedding? But as part of that custom, so that the family wasn't footing the bill for every single thing, every part of this feast, folks were invited to bring food and, yes, wine to share. See, this story is about God's abundance, about Jesus providing when all had run out, about it always being the right time. But as I read Jordy's piece, I also couldn't help but wonder if this passage is an invitation for us to settle into our enoughness, to believe in it, 
to believe in our wildest imaginations, and then to share, to share those gifts, to show up at the wedding with our proverbial wine in a way that lets the joy and celebration of life continue. I wonder if there's an invitation to settle into our wildest imaginations and see the ways it not only feeds and fuels us, but the ways that others too can be fed and their holy flames fueled. In college, I wrestled with the insecurities of a new student far from home. I left my parents or my dad served a little church in Wyoming and went all the way to North Carolina. And I wondered what, what would come of me, what I was meant to do. And I came across this beautiful quote, often attributed to Nelson Mandela, but actually written by Marianne Williamson. She writes about how miracles are not something of a bygone age, but something here and now, and something that exists within us. She writes that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant and talented and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened and shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. You were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So what will we do? As poet Mary Oliver asks, with this one wild and precious life, I pray for you and for me that we will not fit into the box of what others think our lives should hold or even of our own fear. I pray that we will live into our wildest imaginations and in doing so, liberating others to do the same. And in this way, we all will truly make manifest the glory of God. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.